Hi, I'm Steve Wahlberg with Whitehorse Media, and we're here to talk about what everybody's talking about. The whole world is talking about the coronavirus crisis. And yet we're going to go beyond what you will hear on CNN or Fox News or ABC or any network. We're going to talk about this book, the Holy Bible, and biblical prophecy, and what the future holds. So thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm here with Tim Saxton, who is my associate at Whitehorse Media. Uh, Tim, we've got so much to talk about. It seems like uh, just about every day something is changing. When you check the news, if I look at it on my phone or turn on the television set, uh, there's some new development. So why don't you just give us just a quick overview of what's going on right now? Well, truly, coronavirus is a pandemic. It is not only a pandemic as a virus or a disease, but it is a pandemic of fear. And the fear is more what is driving things in the world than the actual virus itself. Mm -hmm. So we have countries closing borders, we have schools closing, and all for good reason. But you're seeing a lot of reactions, a lot of fear in people. People, you know, rushing out to the stores to stock up on food or supplies. Uh, and of course, we said travel being curtailed. Uh, this is unprecedented in our history as a nation yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and the world. I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. I mean, it's only just been uh, a few months since this whole thing broke, and now, um, you know, things are changing all around us. Uh, I've got a flight that I'm supposed to be taking in a few days, and, you know, I just wonder what's going to happen during that trip. And uh, some people are saying I shouldn't go because maybe I would get infected and then come back and infect others. And so, you know, I'm wrestling with these issues, as a lot of people are. And uh, it, like, like you said, it's just, it's unprecedented. You know, whole countries on lockdown, uh, the president addressing the nation again and again. Uh, you know, you just, you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And as you've mentioned, you know, we are in a pandemic stage. Uh, this coronavirus is growing rapidly around the world. It's spreading in the United States. People are scared, schools are closing, they're moving to online uh, instruction, and you know things are just developing very rapidly. And I've never seen anything like this, and you haven't either. So let's, uh, let's go to the book, let's go to the Bible. Thankfully, we have something solid in the midst of this uncertain, fearful, uh, you know, confused world. We have a book that's the world's best-selling book. It's been translated in more languages than any other book in the history of this planet. More sales of this book than any other book. It's the, it's the best-seller on the planet of all time. And embedded firmly within this book are what we call prophecies, biblical prophecies. And I'd like to just start with Matthew. Or maybe you can go to Matthew in just a minute, and I'll go to uh, start out with First Peter. No, Second Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. This is what God's Word says. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as to a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So God tells us that he, he's given us something solid, something sure, which is biblical prophecy. And uh, Tim, as you know, Matthew chapter 24 has a lot to say. That's one of Jesus' most well-known, uh, you could call it a sermon, uh, where he outlines different events that would be taking place before he returns, before his second coming. So just uh, share a little bit with us from sure, that Jesus chapter. says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places or various places. Right. And one of those signs being pestilences, mm -hmm. which is disease. 
And of course, we see with a pandemic, a pandemic is definitely a pestilence. In fact, it is probably the, what, the most significant pestilence we've seen in any of our lifetimes. That's right, and in the next verse, Jesus says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Right. And as I've thought about this, uh, we know a big crisis is coming. We know there'll be a final crisis before Jesus comes that is predicted in the book of Revelation. But we don't know, we're not prophets, and we don't know whether this could be the beginning of that crisis. Like Jesus said, these are the beginning of sorrows. So are we at the early stages of Earth's final crisis uh, that will lead to the final mark of the beast, which we'll talk about in a little bit before Jesus comes back? Uh, or is this something that will blow over? Uh, we, we don't know, but we do know that we have a sure word of prophecy. We do know that Jesus did, predicted, did predict that things like this would be happening. There would be earthquakes, there would be famines, and there would be pestilences. And we do know that uh, sorrows are here and sorrows are coming. And we need, we need help. This whole world needs help in the midst of the sorrows that we are encountering now. And thank God that we do have a source of help. And it's up there, it's the Lord that can bring us through whatever comes. That's so true, Steve. You know, so, so many people are panicking and they're giving into their fears right now. And later in our discussion, we're gonna be talking about how to ally those fears, how to put them away, how right. the Bible and how Christ can give us that strength of heart so that That's we don't right. have to be afraid when these trials and these tests and these uh, pestilences come to us. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Uh, God doesn't want us to be fearful. There's a verse in 1 John that says, perfect love casts out fear. That's right. And another verse in Isaiah 41, verse 10, and says, fear not, for I am with you. So God does not want us to live in fear, but he does want us to know what's coming and what's happening and what's taking place around us. So why don't we turn to Revelation chapter 13, because this is really where we want to go. Uh, our focus is the coronavirus crisis and Bible prophecy. And one of the biggest prophecies, if not the biggest, to be fulfilled right before Jesus comes has to do with what the Bible calls the mark of the beast. It's in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. Tim, why don't you read those verses? And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, that no man might buy or sell, save that he that had the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Right, now, as we just look at these verses without identifying what the mark of the beast is, what can we learn just by looking at verses 16 and 17? Well, if we look at this, something has to take place in our world that causes people to follow the governments of the world implementing a mark or a, a test that is contrary to God's way and God's will. That's right. So we have the world enlarged in mass by its governments going against the will of God, doing something that's contrary to God's will, and most of the world coming and joining in on that. And for that to happen, there must be a crisis that brings us about. That's right. There must be a big enough crisis so that, that all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, would be receptive enough to uh, allowing themselves to be forced into the mark of the beast. So it just, uh, it's implied that there's going to be a big crisis, people are going to be scared, and the mark of the beast is going to be presented as a solution to the crisis. And people are going to go along with it 
because they're desperate. Right. They're desperate. The, the, the earth has reached a state of, uh, of, of desperation. And, you know, it's really, to see, it's really easy to see with this coronavirus as it's escalating. Uh, it's, it's easy to see how something like this could happen because, you know, we're, we're rapidly reaching a tipping point. And if you, if you add a few more crises to the mix, not just the virus, but if you add a, f a few big earthquakes, you know, one in Los Angeles, one in New York, if you have some other major disasters, you have uh, any, you know, huge weather-related catastrophe, uh, you know, there's a whole host of things that could happen. And they could happen quickly, just like this, just like September 11 in 2001 happened quickly. And now this coronavirus crisis has really happened quickly. Uh, things could happen fast, and, and we, could, we could be moving toward that, that final tipping point right now. Uh, we don't know. We're not prophets. We don't know whether the world will recover from this crisis or whether a few more uh, you know, knockout blows will, will hit the planet and the global economy, and then it'll, it'll really go into a tailspin, tailspin, and then we'll be right on the edge of this prophecy. But we want to talk about these issues because we want to help people to understand what the big issues are as we move farther into Revelation chapter 14 and go deeper into the mark of the beast, because this is really what we need to know. Uh, and we need to be, we need to be prepared. You know, and Jesus many times tried to prepare his disciples for what was going to happen to him, for Gethsemane and for the cross and for you know, his arrest and his trials and that he was going to die. And over and over again, he told his disciples, this is what's coming, this is what's going to happen. But when, when it finally hit, uh, they, they didn't understand. They really didn't get it. They didn't get what he was trying to tell them. And, uh, you know, Judas uh, betrayed him. Peter denied him. The, the disciples ran away when the Roman uh, mob, in connection with the temple mob, came to arrest Jesus that night in Gethsemane. The disciples didn't understand. And we need to learn a lesson from that. We need to learn a lesson. And one of the reasons why they didn't understand was because they had false ideas in their heads about what was supposed to happen. They thought that the Messiah was going to come and, and conquer the Romans. And that wasn't really in the word, in the scriptures, the prophecies about the Messiah. So they, uh, they messed up. And it sure seems to me that there's a lot of similar misunderstandings about what's supposed to happen in the end times People, you know, the Jews were looking in one direction and Jesus came in a, in a different way. And people today are looking for certain things to happen. Even those that are studying prophecy have their minds fixed on certain uh, interpretations and conclusions. And, um, you know, a lot of them are wrong. They're really not what the scripture says. So we're repeating history, aren't we? We, we tr truly are, Steve. Because when we look at Revelation 13 and we look at the mark, the, the description about the mark of the beast's time, we find that that this is a, a false worship that is being imposed upon society. So it's an issue of worship, but false worship, all right? Religious law, but a false religious law. Mm -hmm. Now, let's look at China for just a minute. Okay. It's interesting to note that just prior to the coronavirus outbreak, China had come forth with a new law, and it was a religious law, but it was a false religious law. Mm -hmm. It was a law that mandated that Religious groups in China submit to the government. And here's what that meant, is that meant that your religious writings and materials and beliefs must be submitted to the government, and the government would tell you what you could believe. So if you were a Christian and you had a Bible, 
the government would have the right to rewrite the Bible the way they wanted to, and you would follow the government's version, not the real Christian Bible. So this comes to China, and it was supposed to go into effect the law of February 1st, 2020. And just before it goes into effect, boom, you have this coronavirus come. Now, just prior, the, the couple of years prior to this, we, we had seen in China a vast amount of increased persecution of Christians. Churches being closed down, children not being allowed to go to church, citizens being required to take to pledge allegiance to the government over their church. All of these things happening in China, this intense persecution, then this religious law, and then boom, judgment hits. And the remarkable thing about this is the sequence of events of what happened in China is the same sequence of events that prophecy tells us happens at the end of time. So there's going to be a, as we'll get into a religious law in America that's going to be, and around the world, that is going to be restricting people's freedom, that's going to be enforcing the mark of the beast, and we expect that when that time comes, uh, judgments will fall. Now, now, whether the coronavirus is a judgment uh, on China because of its religious restriction of God's people and his book, you know, we, we don't know. We can't say that, but uh, it certainly is worth looking at. And we do know that in the book of Revelation, as soon as the mark of the beast is enforced, and people have a chance to make that final decision, there'll be a time period where people have a chance to choose. Then we know from Revelation 16 that judgments will fall, That's right. uh, which are the seven last plagues that fall on those who get the mark. Right, those who choose to receive the mark, That's right. they receive the wrath of God. That's right. And so let's, uh, let's go to Revelation 14 because Revelation 14 is the chapter that really gives us more information about the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is mentioned eight times in the book of Revelation. And uh, many of those times, it just talks about the mark, like with Revelation 13, what's gonna happen when the mark of the beast is enforced, that nobody can buy or sell unless they go along with the mark. But in Revelation chapter 14, verses six to 12, we have messages. represented by angels, three angels flying in the midst of the sky, giving messages. And the third message has to do with the mark of the beast. And there's enough detail in those chapters that when you really, or in those, in those verses, when you read those verses, there are uh, clues and there, there's information, you might call it uh, intelligence information that God has given us that help us to put the pieces together so we can know what the mark of the beast really is all about and what the big issues are. And we want to talk about those big issues because that's where we're heading. The whole planet is heading toward the final crisis and we need to know what God says about the big issues that are going to surface uh, before Jesus comes. So why don't we go to chapter 14. And we don't have time right now to go into every, uh, every detail about these three angels, which start in verse six. There's one angel that gives a message about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel to go to all the world. And then in verse seven, he talks about the importance of uh, fearing God and giving glory to him because we're in a judgment time. And then verse seven ends with worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So there's a call to worship the Creator. Uh, The second angel, briefly, if you want to just read that text, talks about the fall of Babylon. 
And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Right, so this tells us whatever Babylon is, and we don't really have time to go into all the details about this. We have other White Horse Media programs and material that deals with this. But we do know that verse 6 describes the gospel, the good news of Jesus, going out to the whole world. And then verse 8 says that Babylon has fallen and made all the nations drink of her wine, which is her false teachings. And so we know that at the time that truth is, is going out, it's going out into a world that is uh, largely misled. It says that all the nations have drunk the wine. So all the nations are confused. All the nations uh, uh, are, are mixed up and they need to be enlightened to the truth so that they don't face the consequences that are described in the next couple of verses. Well, uh, Steve, you, you bring up the word Babylon, actually comes from the word Babel, you know, from the Tower of Babel, and Babel means confusion. So right. we're finding a world in confusion. Right, and it's just like back in the days of Jesus, the, even the disciples were confused about what was supposed to happen at the end of Jesus' life. The Pharisees were confused. Uh, it seems like almost everybody was confused except for Christ. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He, had, he told them what was going to happen. And Tim, he's done the same thing for us in prophecy. He's told us that the good news is to go the, to all the world, that we're in a judgment time. He's told us that we need to uh, worship our maker. He's told us that Babylon has fallen, that the whole world is drinking the wine of Babylon, which is the false doctrines of Babylon. And like wine, it makes people confused. Their judgment uh, you know, is, is impaired. So, and then we get to the third angel, we get into the real, the yes. real nitty gritty mm -hmm. of what is going to happen in the future. And I'll just, I'll just read these verses. Uh, verse nine says, the third angel followed them. So that's why we know there's three angels because right. the third angel comes along following the other two. And he says with a loud voice. Now what, 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 what impresses you about that phrase, loud voice? Well, he's bringing out the loud voices because it's a message that is of importance. Thus, it's a loud voice. It's trying to get people's attention. That's right. You know, when you have a child and they're in danger, sometimes the parent will cry out with a loud voice, don't, don't touch the stove right. because it's hot. Or don't go out in the street. Right. Or... A loud voice it indicates an emphaticness, an emphasis. That's right. And, and I, I think I know... <clears throat> that our, our maker, that God, as he looks at the world and looks at what's coming, uh, he's very concerned about human beings that he loves and that he created and that Jesus died for. And he speaks with a loud voice because he's, he's like a loving parent who's very concerned about his children. And so, uh, you know, God's not, not concerned about being politically correct. He's concerned about saving people and he'll do what he has to do in order to save those that he loves. And so he sends a message with a loud voice. And the loud voice says, if any man, which applies to any human being, worships the beast and his image and receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name." Uh, this is a very, very serious prophecy. You can read from, from Genesis to Revelation, and you will never find a more serious, 
set of verses that are just more emphatic uh, than what we just read. I mean, God is pulling out all the stops. And it may sound at first glance, you know, that he's mean, but that's not the case. He's, he's like, again, like a parent who's concerned about a child. Don't touch the stove. Don't walk in the street. And then above all, he pleads, do not get the mark of the beast because the consequences are horrific. True, they're eternal. They're eternal consequences. That's right, they are eternal. And in order for us to understand the mark of the beast, uh, first of all, we, we need to know who the beast is. Uh, and that's a, that's a big topic. Uh, White Horse Media has many resources. We have books on this. We have, uh, we have a lot of literature, and I'll just share a few of these things. Um, well, we have one little book called Fabulous Health Made Simple, which is not about the beast, but it's about the importance of building up your body and building up your health, which is something that we really need to be doing in the time, in a corona world, right. in a time of coronavirus. We have uh, another little book, little book called The United States in Bible Prophecy that deals with uh, the book of Revelation chapter 13 and the role of America, the most powerful nation on earth in end time events. So that's there. Then we have God's warning, the three angels' messages that deals with the first angel, the second angel, the third angel, and it goes into detail about the beast, who that beast is, uh, very careful, uh, careful analysis. And then we have another book on the mark of the beast called Decoding the Mark of the Beast. These are all just little pocket books available from White Horse Media. And this little book brings out that when, it, when we talk about the beast, uh, it's, it's not politically correct to say this, but if you go back into history, to the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s with people like Martin Luther who started the Lutheran Church and uh, John Calvin, a Reformed Presbyterian, famous uh, Presbyterian minister, teacher in Europe. Uh, and then you go to John Wesley who founded the uh, Methodist Church and Charles Spurgeon later on down the line, the great Baptist pastor, famous Baptist pastor in London and the translators of the original King James Bible and the list just goes on and on and on. It's a fact of history that all of these men and, and Protestant leaders for hundreds of years from the time of the Reformation, they believed that the, the beast, the symbol of a beast in Revelation chapter 13, 1 to 10 and chapter 14, uh, 9 through 11, that that symbol was a symbol of the Roman Catholic Church system. Uh, they all believe this. You can Google this. Uh, it's very easy to find. We have the information in our book. We also have uh, another DVD series called Startling Prophecies for America that deals with these same issues from Revelation 13 and 14. And uh, I, I don't believe, Tim, that when, when those men concluded that the beast was a symbol of the Roman Catholic Church system, that they were referring to individual Catholic people. They were referring to the system uh, centered in the Vatican, which has brought into Christianity uh, a massive amount of uh, traditions that really, when you really look at the Word of God carefully, they just don't line up with Scripture. Uh, you know, one of those traditions in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, it says that there is only one mediator between God and men, and that one mediator is the man, Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul's very clear on this in 1 Timothy 2.5. Jesus is very clear on this in, in 
John chapter 14, verse 6, where he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father, being the Heavenly Father, except through me, through me, me, me. He's the way to the Father. And yet in the Roman Church, there's a lot of emphasis on going to Jesus through Mary and the saints. And, uh, you know, the list just goes on and on. Things like purgatory. Uh, there's just a lot, of, a lot of teachings that we don't really have time to go into right now. But we do want to stress that we're not, you know, we're not referring to individual Catholic people who are, uh, a whole host of them are going to, going to be in the kingdom of God because God is a fair, just, merciful God and he loves everybody and he judges people based on the light that they have. But it's a fact of history. It's just a fact of history that the whole Protestant, and the word Protestant means protest, a reformation was a reform movement within the church that what really eventually drove them out of Catholicism to become Protestant churches like the Lutheran and the Baptists and the Methodists, the Presbyterians, they became Protestant churches because they recognized that the Roman church, the dominant church in Europe, had strayed away from scripture. And they uh, recognized as they studied prophecy that the, the system of Catholicism was represented by the beast in the book of Revelation. And that was part of the power of the Reformation. And that's why they came out that's why they established other churches. And so we're just, uh, we just want to share this information with you because this is history and this is really what the Bible is telling us that there is a global system out there. And it's a fact that the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church, in spite of its, uh, you know, all these sex scandals and other things, that it is still the most powerful and the largest Christian church in the world. And so, when we get back to the Bible and back to Revelation, it tells us that there is a beast and that eventually that beast has a mark and that this mark is going to be enforced by law at the end of time in the context of a global crisis. And that's what we see. So, uh, if we go back to the text, we see verse 11 concluding with the, the warning of the consequences of worshiping the beast. And then it says, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. So the beast is mentioned and then the mark is warned about. Now, why don't you read the very next verse, which is verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That's right. So as we, as we look at these verses, there's a number of points that just rise out of the text. Uh, in verse 7, at the end of verse 7, it says, Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. So there's an appeal to worship the Creator. And then in verse 9, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worships the beast. So there's, a, there's a, a line drawn and a contrast made between the worshipers of the creator and the worshipers of the beast. That's very clear just from the text. And then when you go down to the end of verse 11, the Bible warns about uh, getting the mark of the beast. And then verse 12 describes a people who are called saints who don't get the mark 
It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that do two things. And what are those two things? They keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. Right, they keep God's commandments and the faith of Jesus. So if you just put these pieces together, it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. When I was a kid, I used to uh, enjoy putting together all these, these puzzles. And we have a puzzle piece, worship the creator, don't worship the beast. And then we have a puzzle piece, keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus ultimately points us to Jesus Christ, following Jesus as our savior, which goes back to the first angel, which talks about the everlasting gospel, the good news to go to all the world. So when you put the pieces together, uh, on the one side is the beast and the mark, and on the other side are people who worship the creator, who keep the uh, commandments of God, and who follow Jesus Christ, who have faith in Jesus Christ, the faith of Jesus. They trust Jesus as their savior. So if we wanna know what the big issues are, and we want to uh, stand up for God when the final crisis hits, and whether this coronavirus leads to the final crisis or not, time will tell. Maybe it will. But we do know that the big issues in the context of prophecy and the, the final movements and the book of Revelation, the sure word of prophecy, the issue has to do with not following the beast, but worshiping the creator and keeping the commandments of God and following Jesus Christ. That's where, that's sort of like the safety zone, you know? Yes. People think about uh, you know, staying home and not traveling, yes. not going into airports. They wanna be uh, in, a, in a safety zone. And the safety zone, biblically, is trusting Jesus Christ, keeping the Ten Commandments, and worshiping the Maker of heaven and earth. Yes, absolutely true. And, and Steve, as we, as we look back on this, the verse 12 here, those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, it, it leads us to a very critical point on identifying the mark of the beast. That's right. Because if you look back in history, the beast power or the Roman church in history, the Catholic church, they seem to have waged a war on the Ten Commandments. If you look at the Ten Commandments that were given by God in Exodus chapter 20, written with his own finger in stone, you know, which shows their permanent nature, That's right. the second commandment forbids image worship, bowing down to images. And what do we see creep into the church in the Dark Ages? But image worship, where people bow down to the images of the saints. This the commandments forbid doing. But what, if you look in the catechism, the catechism removes the second commandment and splits the tenth into two, so they still have ten commandments in the Catholic catechism. Right. I've seen that over and over. The official 1994 catechism has that, and another little catechism that I have uh, published in 1946, Peter Geierman's catechism. It entirely leaves out the second commandment about bowing down to statues. So you're right. That's, that's what they've done in history. And, and the second, the next commandment that they went against was the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment is the Sabbath commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. This, according to the Catechism, and, 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 and the Catholic Church is very open about it, this the Church changed from Saturday, which is the seventh day, if you go back and you look at the calendars in history, uh, it's very plain which day is the seventh day. It's Saturday. But 
And, and the Jews kept the seventh day Sabbath, Saturday, all through their history. In the New Testament church, you know, the apostles kept the seventh day Sabbath. But we find that in the Dark Ages, the Roman church changes it by their own admission and says, no, we're going to have Sunday, establish Sunday as the day of rest, not from anything noted in the Bible, but from the church's sense of their own authority. That's right. Uh, Whitehorse Media has another little book just came out, and it's called The Truth About the Sabbath. And the subtitle is Proof That the Seventh Day, which is Saturday, is still God's holy day. And Tim, I want to go back a little bit before we read a couple of quotes from this book uh, and talk about, about Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a lot of people believe that because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, that that changes the day from Saturday to Sunday. That's the, that's the argument, the main argument that we hear. But when you really look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, and you really look at the teachings of Jesus Christ, uh, you discover something shocking. And that is that, yes, it's true, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all state that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And we can say, hallelujah, praise God, he rose from the dead. Uh, but, but in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you look at Jesus and his teaching, this is just shocking, that Jesus Christ himself never, not even one time, referred to the first day of the week. Uh, he, he kept the Sabbath. We see that Luke 4.16, it says, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. He taught about the Sabbath. In uh, Matthew 12, he said he was the Lord of the Sabbath. In verse 8, he said, uh, in verse 12, he said, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. Uh, he taught about the Sabbath that would, it would still be in effect far beyond his death. In Matthew 24, verse 20, he urged his disciples when the Romans were going to destroy Jerusalem and they were supposed to get out in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 20, he told his disciples to pray that their flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath. Uh, in Matthew 28, when Jesus told his disciples after he resur was resurrected, before he went to heaven, he told his disciples to go to all the world to, to preach the gospel, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, and to teach the converts, the disciples, uh, to obey everything he said that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So Jesus told his disciples to teach whatever he had commanded. And he never said a word about the first day of the week. Nothing. There's no teaching from Jesus Christ about that day, about that day changing the Sabbath day. It's completely absent from, uh, from Scripture. And we can, you know, as you study the book of Acts, it's very clear. Acts chapter 13 talks about the preaching in Antioch and how the Gentiles came together and said, we want to hear more about Jesus next Sabbath. And you just go all throughout the book of Acts. The Sabbath is mentioned, I believe it's 11 times. And uh, the first day of the week is only mentioned one time, which is in chapter 20. And this little book goes into all those different, uh, different scriptures. This is a very complete book that deals with the Sabbath and the life of Jesus. It looks at it in the Old Testament, the New Testament. It looks at uh, the controversy over the Sabbath between Jesus and the Pharisees, which was not a controversy over what day was the Sabbath, but how to keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees had all these rules that they'd made up. And Jesus didn't follow all those man-made rules. He kept the Sabbath according to, to God's will and God's mind.
And then it goes into uh, the Sabbath in the book of Acts and how do we know what day is the Sabbath and reasons why the Sabbath isn't Jewish. So it just goes into all these things. And above all, you know, it's the fourth commandment. We're dealing with the Ten Commandments and the only commandment that says remember is number four. That's right. In, it, in Scripture, Steve, the permanence of the nature of the Sabbath is so very clear because the Sabbath was created before there was any sin. It was created in creation with Adam and Eve, where God rested on the seventh day. In Isaiah 66, the Bible tells us that in the new earth, when sin is gone and everybody is living eternally with Christ forever, that from one Sabbath to another will they come and worship before Him. Now, there is a, an interesting text in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. The Bible says, Moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. The word sign there comes from the Hebrew word oth, which means flag or monument or mark. The seventh day Sabbath is the mark of God's authority in His holy Ten Commandment law. But, we must also remember for everything God does, Satan tries to bring a counterfeit. So, if there is a Christ, there is an antichrist. If there is a mark of God's authority, there is a mark of the beast's authority. Good point. That's right. And back to Revelation 14, we know, as we already talked about, that the text says that those who worship the Creator and those who keep the commandments and those who follow Jesus will not get the mark of the beast. And there's only one commandment about the Creator. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the first one is that God is to be first, no other gods before God. The second one forbids idol worship. The third one says, uh, don't take God's name in vain. The fifth one says, honor your father and mother, which Paul quoted in Ephesians chapter 6 as being still fully in force for Christians long after the cross. Uh, the sixth one is uh, not to murder. The seventh one, don't commit adultery. The eighth one, don't steal. The ninth one, don't bear false witness. And the tenth one is don't covet. But then there's that number four, which is the one that says remember. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. It's this, and the seventh day, it says, is the Sabbath of the Lord. And Tim, it's the only commandment about the Creator. Verse 11 says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and he rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. He made it a holy, sacred day. So, Revelation 14 says those who don't worship the beast, but worship the Creator, and keep the commandments, and follow Jesus, they don't get the mark. And when you look at the commandments, the only one about the Creator is number four. And when you really study prophecy carefully, which is what our books do, uh, our White Horse Media videos, this Starling Prophecies for America series, our little book on the mark of the beast that goes into great detail about this topic, uh, these books clarify from Scripture that uh, at some point in the future, in, in response to a global crisis, there's going to be an enforcement of a mark of Rome's authority. And back to, back to Rome, we know from the Bible itself and from the teachings of Jesus that uh, he did not change the Sabbath. Here's a chapter in this book called Roman Catholics Testify, and here's a quote from the catechism I referred to, uh, published in 1946 by Reverend Peter Geierman, called The Convert's Catechism of Catholic Doctrine, page 50. It says, question, what day is the Sabbath day? 
Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why then do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Why do Catholics do this? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, and there's, there's a whole host of quotes here. Here's another one that says, uh, one of the Catholic priests said, I have repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who can prove to me from the Bible alone that I am bound to keep Sunday holy. There is no such law in the Bible. It is the law of the Holy Catholic Church alone. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Catholic Church says, no, by my divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you to keep holy the first day of the week. And lo, the entire civilized world bows down in reverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. Steve, that's, that's, quite, an, that's quite a quote that you mentioned there. And uh, it goes along with one in Catholic records found September 1, 1923. And we're talking about the world bowing down to a mark of the church's authority. Listen to this. It says, Sunday is our mark of authority. Notice the words being used there. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of the Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. And we have a lot of quotes in this book, uh, the truth about the Sabbath. Now, let's go back to the coronavirus and prophecy and what, uh, what may be on the horizon. Again, we're not prophets. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know whether this crisis is going to blow over. Uh, but even if it does, there'll be another crisis. We do know that biblical prophecy will be fulfilled. And we also know that what we're seeing right now around us has all the earmarks of, uh, of the kind of thing that Revelation is talking about. Now, let's just imagine, Tim, that things don't get better, that things get worse, that the coronavirus continues to spread, that the global economy continues to suffer, that people suffer, and, uh, and that things, you know, instead of tipping in the right direction, they tip in the wrong direction. And if you, know, an, you add into the sequence, into the mixture, a few other big crises that hit the planet, you know, like the, the locusts are in, uh, in Africa moving into China, and then you've got earthquakes in different places. Italy just had an earthquake not long ago. Puerto Rico had some big earthquakes. Uh, the, the Tal volcano was threatening to go off in the Philippines. And let's say you have a whole sequence of these kind of disasters that really hit and things get really desperate. Uh, what do most people, where do most people turn when things get really bad? People turn to God. That's or at right. least they profess to turn to God. That's right. You know, they say there's no atheists in foxholes. You know, when danger abounds, people begin to pray. Their prayer may or may not be sincere, but they turn to prayer. And this is where Satan comes in at the end of time, and he propose, and he, he inspires a solution that appears to be a good solution, but it's just a little bit off. That's right. And then it becomes a false worship solution. Worship the beast, follow the beast and his mark. Right. And rather than the law of God. Right. And if the beast is the Roman Catholic Church, and if the mark is the mark of the Roman Catholic Church's authority or supposed authority to change the law of God, then when Revelation 13 says the time is going to come during a crisis when the mark is enforced 
and nobody can buy or sell, the global economy is affected, nobody can buy or sell unless it goes along with the mark, then what that means is that at some point, uh, this, this, this crisis or a, a further crisis will result in the enforcement of Sunday observance. That's exactly right. As a, as a grand solution to the crisis. And when the world turns from the law of God to embrace the mark of the beast's authority, then that's when we find judgment falling upon the earth. Listen to this from Jeremiah 6.19. It says, Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my law, my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. Notice in that text, it's not talking to the Jews. He says, Hear, O earth, all right? A time comes when the earth rejects the law of God, and as a result of accepting the mark of the beast, judgments, or God's plagues, fall upon the earth. That's right. And so back to the scenario that if things get really bad, people look up, and then it just makes perfect sense that, that the world would come together in some kind of a cooperative, spiritual, religious yes. uh, endeavor to try to bring everybody back to God. Like you said, it'll look good, but it'll make a mistake. And the mistake is to enforce, in a time of desperation, the keeping of Sunday as a solution to the crisis. And, and as I look at the text, Tim, at Revelation 14, and I've studied this for many years, Revelation 14 is very clear that uh, the choice is given between the mark of the beast being enforced and those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That's very, very clear right from the text from Revelation 14 verses 9 to 12. And I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, a, like a, being out on the ocean and, and you're in thick fog and, you know, you're looking at the ocean loaded with fog and then silhouetted in the background, emerging from the fog, is a ship. And what's going to happen in the end times is in the midst of this global confusion and uh, crisis and catastrophe and all the fear and all these things, people are not going to know what to do. And, in, and there's going to be, just like with the coronavirus, we're, we're being appealed to, to cooperate together to help to avoid the spreading of this disease. You know, don't travel, stay away from crowds, keep your distance, don't shake hands, wash your hands. And I think, you know, these recommendations are good. And a lot of what's gonna happen in the final crisis is gonna look, look good, the final solution. And just like people are told to come together to solve this problem, in the future, people are gonna be told we all need to come together to solve this problem. And the way we need to do it is to come back to God and keep Sunday. And, and, and then what's going to happen is just like the ship emerged in the fog, so something is going to emerge in the midst of this crisis that's going to command the attention of the world. And what's going to emerge is the Ten Commandments. The law of God is going to rise up and people are going to take a close look at that law like they've never seen it before. And they're going to go down one, two, three, four, and they're going to see the word remember, don't forget, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. And that, I believe that God is going to use, and the Bible says God is going to use this mark, this crisis and the mark of the beast crisis and the enforcement of Sunday, he's going to use it to bring the big issues up to the whole world. So people will then be confronted face to face 
with the issue of the traditions of men versus the law of God, the issue of following sin and the beast, or following the creator of heaven and earth who made us and who wants us to be happy and who says, my commandments are what's best for you. It's good for you to put me first. It's good for you not to bow down to statues. It's good for you not to take my name in vain, to honor your parents, not to murder, commit adultery. It's good for families not to steal, not to lie, not to, not to covet, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is the best way. And God's gonna allow this whole crisis to bring these issues up so people will have to make a choice. Which way are they gonna go? Are they gonna follow God's way, God's law, or are they gonna follow man's tradition? Now in Matthew verse, chapter 15, verse nine, Jesus says, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. Here Jesus identifies vain worship, false worship, useless worship, as following man's traditions over God's law. That's right. And that's, that is the crisis that comes at the end. Which way are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to follow the Bible and the Bible alone, or are you going to cho choose to follow the ways of man? That's right, and many people, many people, I've heard this before, they say, well, we follow Jesus, we're not Jews, so we don't keep the Sabbath, we keep Sunday, because Jesus rose on that day. But if we really follow Jesus, if you look at the, the real Jesus, you know, may the real Jesus please stand up, and you look at Matthew 15, the real Jesus said, like you said, like you quoted, uh, in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. He said, you have made the, the, the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. That's what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 15. So when it comes to tradition versus the commandments of God, where does Jesus land? He always lands on the commandments. That's right, on the commandments of God. And he does this over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, I wanna go back, I can see our time is, is rolling. I wanna go back to chapter 14. Uh, the warning about the mark of the beast. At the end of verse 12, it says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I've been impressed, Tim, that the last word before the period at the end of the third angel's message is Jesus. Amen. They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And the reality is when you really study the New Testament, uh, John chapter one, verses one to three brings this out. Verse 10 brings this out. Colossians 1, 16 teaches this. Ephesians three, verse nine teaches this, that Jesus is more than, than our savior. He's actually the one who made heaven and earth. He's the creator of all life. Uh, John 1.10 says, he was in the world and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. And when you put these pieces together, and these are deep biblical truths, that the worship of the creator is really the worship of Jesus Christ. He is the maker of this planet. He's the one that made the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And he's the one that wrote the law with his own finger on stone. And when you really look deep, you discover that the finger that wrote the law, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, was on a hand that was eventually nailed to a cross. That it's our maker, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for us uh, on Calvary for all of our sins, for breaking the first, the second, the third, all the way down, including the fourth and the 10th and all the 10 commandments. And we wanna make it very clear that the Bible teaches that he saves us by his grace 
We're not saved by the law. We're saved by the grace of God, by, by the grace of our maker who paid the price, who suffered for us, who agonized for us, and who took our sins into his mind and in, into his heart, his holy, sinless, um, perfect heart, his uh, sensitive heart, his loving heart, and he paid the price for all sin. And the way that we're saved is through choosing to turn from sin, repent of those sins, and trust in Jesus as our Savior. That's true. And, and it's his grace that saves us. But as his grace saves us, he also changes us. And then by his love and his grace, as a fruit of his transforming power, he then transforms us into commandment keepers, including the fourth. And when the issue comes up at the end of time and the law of God emerges from the mist and from the fog of this world, and then people are confronted with the real Ten Commandments, the real Seventh-day Sabbath, they also need to be pointed to their creator who paid the price on the cross. And that's where the, that's where the third angel comes together with, with power, uh, the grace of God, the suffering of Christ, and obedience in the context of a global crisis and the enforcement of the mark of the beast. Yes, you know, Steve, it's so true. Jesus, not only is our creator, he's also our redeemer. That's right. And we are saved by our faith in him. And Jesus not only tra transforms us, but as he does so, he also takes away our fear. So whether it's our fear of the coronavirus, <laughs> or our fear of the mark of the beast, or our fear of dying, Jesus right. is the only one who can take away fear. Perfect love, the Bible says, casts out fear. That's right, excellent. And I'm reminded of a story in the book of Luke when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and the storm came up. And the disciples are terror, they're, they're terrified for their life, you know? And they look back and there's a flash of lightning and they see Jesus back there sound asleep, resting perfectly comfortable. And they cry to him, Master, save us, we're gonna die. I'm paraphrasing here. Right. And Jesus wakes up. And what Jesus sees bothers him. It's not the storm or the wind. What he sees is fear in his disciples. Mm. And he commands the wind and the storm to stop, to be still. And then he turns and says, where's your faith? That's or right. why were you afraid? That's right. When I'm with you, why are you afraid? Yeah. And in the time of coronavirus and Mark of the Beast and countless other situations that are gonna come in our world, tragic situations, horrific situations, terrorizing situations. Jesus is there saying to his followers, don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way through this. That's right, he's gonna bring us through. We have, a, White Horse Media has another little book called Secrets of Inner Peace that talks about that very scene that uh, Tim mentioned where Jesus calmed the storm and said, peace, peace be still. And uh, you know, we, we know we're in a time of uh, corona panic and corona fear. And you know, we hate to say it, but things are gonna get worse before they get better. But the good news is that they are gonna get better when Jesus comes. That's right. And, and uh, when he does, it's gonna be fabulous. It is. It's gonna be worth everything we've been through for what we have looking forward to uh, when Jesus comes. And the new heavens and the new earth and no more sin, pain, suffering, or death. I mean, it's all just gonna be fabulous. And so we wanna help people to understand in this time of crisis that God's got it all figured out in his book. We have a sure word of prophecy. We have predictions that tell us that yes, there'll be pestilences like the coronavirus and there'll be earthquakes, and there'll be famines and there'll be, there'll be sorrows. And, and eventually there'll be a final crisis where uh, the beast will make its final move and enforce the mark. 
its mark as a apparent solution to a global crisis. But in the midst of this, God's truth is going to rise up. The Ten Commandments, the cross of Jesus, the, the importance of worshiping the Creator, and those who choose Him will be protected. And He'll bring us through all the way to the Second Coming. Amen. Steve, there's nothing better than to have the peace of God in your heart. To have that peace, because those who, are, who take the mark of the beast, it says, the Bible says, they have no rest day or night. That's right. All right? They don't have peace in their heart. Jesus is the one that gives peace. That's so right. when we have the peace of Jesus, when we follow him, when we keep his commandments, that's what the Bible says is the whole duty of man. That's all right? right. We are to be unified with our Savior forever. And regardless what happens, whether we live or die, that doesn't matter. It matters that we have Christ living inside of us and we let him shine through to others. That's right. And the word Sabbath means rest. Like yes. the text you read, Revelation 4, mentioned Revelation 14, 11, says they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. There's no rest in, in disobedience. That's right. There's no rest in sin. There's no rest in going to bed at night with a, a guilty conscience. There's rest in confessing your sins, having all of them forgiven through Jesus Christ, understanding his love, his grace, his goodness, that he's with us, and in having his power to become uh, obedient to his commandments. And this is what Revelation says about our preparation for the big day of his return. Uh, it, was, it was funny. Uh, this morning as I was taking a shower, I turned off my shower and uh, I was drying myself off before I got out and we have a glass door and there was my cat, Princess, was, uh, and she did something she'd never done before. She was uh, clawing on the door, wanting to come into the shower. And I thought, you know, she's never done that before. Isn't that funny? And then I thought about that, and I thought, in light of this program that we were going to be doing uh, shortly, when I was in my shower, I thought, you know, Jesus, uh, he wants to get into. He, he's really, he's like, he's knocking. He's not clawing like my cat, but he's knocking on the door of our hearts. He wants to come in and uh, change our lives, forgive our sins, help us to understand what's happening in this world, and He wants us to be ready for His return. So why don't we have a, just a quick prayer and ask Jesus to come into our hearts. Uh, dear Father in heaven, please bless each, each person that's watching this or has watched this, this, and we ask Jesus to come into our hearts, take away our fears, forgive our sins, and help us to be ready for the future and for His return. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting messages just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com, or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.